0: That this is a book that's just going to, you know, pat you on the back and tell you how good you are, give you a few tips for how to make life better. We'll see a big dose of that this morning. But just want you to know, this book is going to make you face your fears. And I just want to prepare you as someone that cares. What are you going to do when you realize that you're more lost than you assumed? I just want to, what what are you going to do when you learn that suffering is necessary? What are you going to do when the war that's going on within you is much deeper than you want to admit? What are you going to do when you come to the end of yourself and realize that you're just not enough? You're just not enough. And the only anchor for your life is God himself. Are you going to be okay with that? I know it's easy to say, yes. I know you can write the answer on a piece of paper. You can take the test and give the right answers. But I mean, when you come to the end of yourself and you actually realize you're not enough, are you really okay with God being everything? This book is going to push us in all those directions and make us face all those and other things. So that's our little review. So I want to read Romans 1, 18 through 32, and then we'll jump in this morning. Beloved, this is the Word of God. As challenging as this may be to receive, this is the Word of God. Listen to this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. It doesn't make us feel comfortable, but we know and we're learning together that truth isn't meant to make us feel comfortable it's meant to be truth so lord have your way with us today open up our minds and hearts it seems like lord that it seems like that you might be wanting to challenge us today maybe correct us but lord we know that all of that is for the purpose of us understanding your unbelievable grace and mercy in Jesus. So, lead us to Jesus. Help us to know ourselves better than before. Help us to know your mind more clearly. And even if that raises a thousand questions, may your truth bring us to Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. I've wrestled all week with how in the world I'm going to do this this morning. just want you to know, I've agonized over this. I wrestled with it because I want to be honest with you. I want to be as clear as I can about what this text is saying. I want to be faithful to the mind of God that we have in the Word of God, written for us to think about. But I just want you to know I've really wrestled. This hasn't been easy. Uh, If you want to talk more about this afterwards, I'd be happy to because there's a lot more I'd like to say, but I can't. I have a short period of time. But I want you to know something. This section, chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, verse 20, is one big unit, all right? It's one big section of of Romans that all fits together. And I want you to know that this is the point of this entire section we're going to be looking at. If If you're here and you're exploring Christianity, or if you're here and you've been a believer or follower of Jesus for five decades, this is the point. God is right. And we're wrong. I just want you to know that. So if you don't hear anything else today, I just need you to understand that if you want to know what it means to follow Jesus or what it means to be a Christian, it means that you have to have, I have to have the disposition that God is right and I'm wrong. And I hope that's not too hard for you to understand because... We got to get into this text. So, with that in mind, God is right and we're wrong. We're going to make two stopping places today. I want to show you that God is right and we're wrong, but we're going to make two stops. The first stop is going to be this God is not indifferent to the world. I want you to know that. God is not indifferent to the world. Second, We're going to answer the question, why should I care? Got it? Those are the two stops. We're going to try to think about the fact that God's right and I'm wrong. Our first stop is going to be God is not indifferent to the world. Then we're going to talk about why it matters. Well, let's jump in. God is not indifferent to the world. Look at the first phrase of verse 18. Let's work this out together. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Let's break this down because I don't want you to think that God doesn't care about what's going on in the world. I want you to know what he does. Revealed. Let's get this out of the way. What does it mean that says God's wrath is revealed? That word revealed conveys the idea of uncovered. That God's wrath is being uncovered. It's not rash. God's uh, wrath being revealed is not... um, A reaction to something, it's not emotional, God's wrath is like ripening, is kind of the idea that's there. And it's even, importantly, in the present tense. So the wrath of God being revealed is actually can be seen and experienced now, that there is a ripening to what is being revealed. What's being revealed is the wrath of God. Now, you need to understand what the wrath of God is not, all right? The wrath of God is not his superiority complex, where he's just interested in in smashing people to prove how superior he is. The wrath of God has nothing to do with showing us God's superiority complex. That's not it at all. Remember this statement. We've talked about it a number of times throughout the years, The wrath of God is also not the opposite of love. You remember this quote? Wrath or anger is not the opposite of love, hate is. Hate is the opposite of love. And the final form of hatred is indifference. So you can know when people really don't care about you when they are absolutely indifferent. They never want to commit to you. They never want to be honest with you. They never want to show up for you. They never want to show who they are to you. They won't receive anything from you. That person is indifferent to your existence. And that means they do not care about you at all. The wrath of God is actually God's settled opposition to what is destroying what he loves. That's what the wrath of God is. It's his settled opposition against what is destroying what he loves. So this is saying that the wrath of God is being revealed. It's present tense. God is upset about what is destroying those that he loves. Can you take that in? Will you think about that? Because that wrath of God and his anger is actually illustrative of his love. That he's so upset and so committed that he's going to tell you about it. And he's going to tell me about it because he's in. He's committed. He cares. Now, the next phrase, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, is really important. Because it actually lays out the rest of the verses. That's why we're spending so much time on this first phrase. So I want you to know that God's wrath, the unfolding of his displeasure, is against ungodliness and then unrighteousness. You see, he starts with ungodliness because of this. The word is meant to communicate that God is upset at how we are operating toward him. Got it? Ungodliness is how we are operating with each other. So, you can actually see the wrath of God expressed in how we are relating to Him, first of all. What that means is oh, by the way, Paul anticipates an objection. So, if you're here and you're really thinking about does God exist? Who is He? I don't know who He is. I don't know where He is. Paul's got you. Paul's got you. Because he says, he anticipates someone saying, God's upset with me, something I've done to God. I don't even know if God exists. I don't know where he is, I mean I've been hanging out a while and I've never seen him. He hasn't met my criteria for empirical evidence so I don't know that he's around. Paul anticipates that. Paul says right from the get that what is going on is that God is actually clearly displayed. This is how he answers that objection. He goes to, four part story, remember this four part story thing? It really matters. Paul says, do you know, do you know how you know that God exists? Let's go back to creation. Because creation displays the reality of God. Look at the phrases that he uses. I don't remember all of them, but like they display his power. They display his invisible attributes. Creation testifies to the reality that God exists. That you look and look around and see a beautiful sunset or sunrise and you can know that something, someone created that. The world, the creation itself is created with design by a designer. It's really hard to explore creation itself and the universe without recognizing that this whole thing that we're living on was designed in an incredible way that displays power, that displays beauty, that displays that everything fits together and it works. So Paul says, if you're there thinking, well, I don't know if God exists or not, yes, you do. You know that God exists. You see the reality that testifies to God. The problem is that when you see that truth all around you, what we want to do is suppress it that we want to hold that down. We don't want to see a beautiful sunset and think, wow, God must be there. We just think, man, nature is beautiful. When the reality is it's pointing us back to him. But we like to suppress that stuff. We like to hold it down, but it just keeps popping up everywhere all the time. You know, when the unexpected things happen, you're like, whoa, how did that happen? God was it work doing things, even through tragedies and hardship. Oh, that's how God is working to get me to the end of myself. Having just been through this in a fresh way this past year, I think you know what I'm talking about. God was at work there too. As hard as that is for me to say to you, and as frustrated as I get about it, it's true. So either I deal with it, or I just get bitter and go off the deep end. That isn't going to get me anywhere, is it? Paul says we all know that God exists. We are all without excuse, the text says. All of us, everyone knows there's a God. Everyone does. We just like to suppress it and hold it down. It's interesting, those of you that may love C.S. Lewis, you know he's an author. You ever heard of this guy, C.S. Lewis? If not, this is actually how he came to faith. This was part of how he became a follower of Jesus. It's kind of beautiful. Uh, I might mess this up. I may have to look at my notes here in a minute, or I might just get it wrong. But you can come up to me afterwards. But he really doubted God because of the cruelty and the violence he saw in the world. And then he began thinking about that more deeply, and he started thinking, realizing to himself, "Well, what's my definition of cruel? What's my definition of unjust? What's my definition of violence?" It, did, did I just make that up, like, do I just make up my own definition of that? Because if I make up my own definition of what justice is or what should be, well, this other guy may completely disagree with me. So it can't be that I just make up my own definition of justice. That doesn't work. And then he started looking at biology and evolution. He and started thinking, you know what? Hmm. According to the evolutionary model of looking at the world and that framework, that worldview... There's a lot of violence there too, isn't there? Matter of fact, from that worldview, the world is set up to be violent and cruel. So I'm not sure that staying with evolution gets me anywhere. And then he began to realize this, and I want to read this just to make sure I get at least close to something right. He realized that he believed in God as a basis for not believing in God. Think about that. He realized that he believed in God as a basis for his not believing in God. Why? Because he was assuming that God would be good. So then he started redefining all of his terms according to what God said in the Bible when he became a follower of Jesus. How about that? Beautiful, beautiful, isn't it? Well, Paul says the wrath of God is being revealed against ungodliness against our relationship with him, because we know that God exists. We just want to ignore it and suppress it. And the second reason he gives is this, that we exchange. Look at verse 23 and 25. Now, look, you've got to receive this as the apostle Paul showing you his pastor's heart here You got to understand that he's writing to a people that he really cares about. You got to understand that this is like your best friend talking to you and you're at the point in your relationship in which that friend of yours can look at you in the eye and you're talking about a particular thing that's a big deal. This is not like, you know, what's your favorite color? This is like, what do you think about this thing in life? This is a friend talking to you about a really important thing and saying, I'm just gonna shoot straight with you. You wanna suppress that God's real. And then you exchange worshiping an invisible God with a created expression of an image of man or animals or beasts so that it's not just that you suppress, it's that you exchange worshiping the invisible, all-powerful God with something that you make up a God, an idol that you create so that it can do what you want it to do and tell you how good you are based upon what you say that that God should be like. So that at the end of the day, we end up worshiping creation rather than the creator. In other words, this is talking about idolatry that we all know that God exists, but the problem is we create something else. In our own minds, we create other things. So if you wanna think about the idols in your life and what are the idols in your life, it's the thing that captures your imagination. It's the thing that tells you what's right or wrong. That, That could be the news, that could be whatever your favorite places are to 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 read about life and what makes you successful and how you can be a more beautiful person and how you can be more successful whatever you're feeding yourself that tells you what's right or wrong if that's not god it's an idol and and you're attached to it because you go to it to determine what is right or what is wrong it can be your own feelings You can say, well, I just feel this is right, therefore I'm gonna do it. Or I feel this is wrong, so I'm not gonna do it. That's just basing your idols, just your feelings. Meaning that you're just living for comfort. And what you think will make you comfortable. And what you think will tell you that you're a good person or when you've done wrong, do you get it? Your idols are what captures your imagination. They're what tells you what's right or wrong and how you can be successful or what it means if you fail. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. That we have these idols that we feed. And in feeding them, they end up telling us how to be better or why we're wrong or maybe we're never wrong. And what ends up happening is we never actually control them, they always control us. In other words, if you were to ever lose your job and if your job was your idol, you would be absolutely devastated and feel like that your life is meaningless. It means that if marriage is your ideal and you really want to get married and you never get married, it means that you would feel absolutely devastated and like your life is worth nothing, then you've made marriage an idol. Or becoming a parent or making this amount of money or having this in your bank account. If you would feel as though That your life is meaningless. That is your idol. You see, Paul is just talking straight to us. God is talking straight to us. He's saying, look, you should be worshiping me, but you don't, so you create something else. And you're riding with that. You're rolling with that every day, 24-7. Thinking that that is what will bring you significance and hope and meaning. Well, then... Paul changes to this. He says, in a sense, God's wrath is revealed against ungodliness, and now he changes to unrighteousness. Look at verse 24 and following. Paul breaks into this unrighteousness, remember, meaning that if our relationship vertically is not good, the ungodliness part, then our relationship toward each other is not going to work either. So God's wrath is being revealed in how not only we relate to him, but how we relate to other people. And he jumps right in with exchanging something else. Look at 26 and 27. He says that the wrath of God is actually present and visible in how we relate to each other. Because we exchange a natural use for an unnatural use. You see that? So instead of women preferring men and men preferring women, it comes out where women end up preferring women and men end up uh, preferring men. And this is an evidence like everything else that's before and what's to come after this, that God's wrath is in the world. You see, Let's try to make sense of this. And trust me, there's a whole lot more I could say. We're just going to barely scratch the surface of this. Go back to creation. Beloved, remember that we were made in the image of God. And that means that we were actually made to advertise God everywhere. We were made to advertise his glory his beauty, we were made to advertise his mind over and throughout all of creation. We were to have dominion over everything. Remember this? So, when God created the world, it was God, mankind, and creation, right? And we were to have dominion over the created order naming, organizing, enabling to flourish, spreading throughout the whole world. But when we rebelled against God, that order got changed so that we started putting creation above God and God below us so that we started worshiping creation. And then, not only that, but relating to each other in unnatural ways. You see, the image of God is not just what we do in advertising God by having dominion throughout the world, the image of God is actually written into the DNA of who we are. Let me explain. The image of God is not only seen in what we do with the skills and abilities that God has given us. The image of God is seen in how we relate to each other so that we need community. You know why? Because our needing each other is advertising the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who from all eternity lived together, existed together, loved one another, and then together built this world, created it. So our community is reflecting something about God. So in other words, to be an isolated person is to communicate something unnatural about how you were made Because you were made in the image of the triune God. You know how else you were made? To reflect something else about God in your being. That there is unity in diversity. Meaning that God actually created male and female. I'll use g G-rated language. To fit together. He made male and female to fit so that two become one like the Trinity is three in one so that when we live together, a man and a woman live together, it is natural because there is what we're reflecting of God is unity and diversity. To try to have two men or two women, it just doesn't work. According to how God says we were made, it communicates something that is unnatural and untrue about God. But Paul doesn't stop there, does he? He continues on. It's not just that we trade these natural uses for unnatural. Look at this list. Look at verse 29, 28, and following. Look at this list, can I just read it to you and can you just be overwhelmed with what's there rather than me trying to explain every word to you? Remember, he's saying the wrath of God is revealed by our ungodliness, the way we relate to him, and unrighteousness, the way we relate to each other. We don't just trade natural for unnatural, listen to this and see if it describes the world that you live in. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And they were filled with all manner of, you ready? Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. Does that ring true in the world that you live in? Anybody else see evil and covetousness in the world? Malice. We don't even have to go to mention any current events, right? You just feel this instinctively. Full of envy. Murder. Remember, murder is not only physical acts, but harboring hatred in your heart. Remember, that's murder too. Murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers. Anybody ever been gossiped about in here? How about slandered? Anybody ever been slandered? Oh, so you're saying God's word's true. This this is certainly conforms to the reality that I live in. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. Anybody ever been around arrogant people? Somebody that's just full of hubris? You know, any names come to mind? I bet you got some. I bet if you look in the mirror close enough, you might recognize, hmm, that's in me too. Jealousy, guilty. Covetousness, guilty. Gossip, been there. Slander, yep. See yourself in the mirror a little bit? How about this one? Inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. Now, I know you all are the best parents I've ever met in my life, and so I've really actually never seen your kids disobey, ever. (laughs) Mm. And and when you were kids, you never disobeyed your parents, did you? I mean, you were just straight as an arrow. Mm. Foolish, faithless, heartless. Ruthless. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Have you ever had your parents say to you, Look, I brought you into the world, I can take you out? <laughs> God is saying that we relate to one another in such an abysmal way that we actually invent evil and we enable others. Live in it. It's pretty indicting, isn't it? And what does God do with all of this wrath? Three times, He gives them over. Notice that? Verse 24, 26, and 28. He gives them over. That means this He gives you over to your sinful desires. The wrath of God is seen in you doing what you want to do. And God says, your will be done. Do it. Go for it. That's what he's saying. Your will be done. In other words, if you have built your entire existence around your performance, whether that's through grades whether that's through all of your other academic achievements or your professional achievements. It means that if you are wired to think that your performance is what gets you somewhere, then the worst thing that can happen to you is another A, another promotion, another accomplishment. You ever thought about things that way? If your identity is so wrapped up in your accomplishments, then the worst thing that can happen is that you just keep getting A's. Keep, keep going in your, in your field. Keep, keep accomplishing because you've never come to the end of yourself. You've never come to the end of yourself. And God might just be giving you over to all of your performance way of life. Meanwhile, you think you're doing great. And in many ways you are, but not before God. Because those performances won't get you anywhere. Those accolades won't get you anywhere. The wrath of God is revealed in that he gives you over to it. Just keep going. Well, why should I care about any of this? Real quickly, why should I care? I want to give you three things. The first one is this. There is an inescapable problem here. There's an inescapable problem when you read this text, isn't there? The inescapable problem is that this passage indicts and exposes our self-righteousness and our rebellion against God in the way that we dislike each other. Every one of us, we're all guilty here. No one gets a free pass. No one escapes We are all guilty of everything that this passage is talking about. We don't fulfill what God requires of us in any direction. We are no better than anyone else. Let that sink in. Because if you'll receive this indictment, it might make you understand how you are more relatable to anyone than if you didn't admit how far you've fallen. In other words, you don't approach people from a position of superiority. We should approach people from the position of, hey man, I know what it's like. I'm there. I've been there. You get it? This is an inescapable indictment on all of our self-righteousness. It means that we should be willing to admit this, how far we are off from what God says. It means that we should live our lives knowing that apart from Jesus, I got no hope. That leaves me the second thing. I wanna to try to illustrate this passage to you because it's a lot to try to take in, I know. I wanna to try to illustrate this passage to you from God's vantage point. You ready? Now, did you hear that? I'm trying to illustrate this to you from God's vantage point. After the service is over, imagine if I took you to your house and when we get to your house, I say, hey, look at what I've done with the place. I've decimated it, and I turned it into a tennis facility. <laughs> you know why? Because I love tennis. And so I take you to your place, and I say, hey, hey, look, this is what I've done. Let me show you the courts. Let me show you the clubhouse. Let me show you the locker room. Let me show you everything about what I've built with um, whatever used to be here. But this is what I did. If I took you to your house and showed you the new tennis facility in Greenville, North Carolina, you might be upset and say, but Dave, this is my house. Would you be justified in saying that? I think you would. But if I said, but look, this is good for the community. I love tennis. This is a great thing that I've done. You should still say to me, but this is my house and you being upset, maybe even having a little wrath, maybe being a little bit angry, is absolutely justified. The point is our minds and our bodies and our relationships all belong to God. It doesn't matter how good of intentions we have for anything, it doesn't matter how, how, how much we wanna help other people, this is God's house. It belongs to him. Everything belongs to him. And when God gives us over, it's like, "Well, go ahead. Keep building. And and make sure you make all the laws you need to protect yourself because you've done something illegal here, but you're going to try to make your make enough laws to get you to keep you safe all the time." And, and you're gonna be able to cobble together people who agree with you, but deep down, you have to try to make yourself feel good about this because after a while, you're gonna realize that, well, this probably wasn't the best idea after all. So you just get stuck, and God's like, go ahead, go ahead, you want go ahead. Here, here it is, keep going. Because he knows how stubborn we are. And that means that this whole idea of God giving us over is actually what brings us the greatest joy and hope. That phrase that's used in 24, 26, and 28, that God gave them over, there's another verse in a few chapters coming up that says that God did not spare his own son, but delivered him up or gave him over for us all so that he might with him, Give us all things graciously and freely. Beloved, do you know who took on the wrath of God in this text? His name was Jesus. And all this wrath that we see in the world and that we deserve, Jesus was delivered over to absorb all of that for people like you and me. That's the message of the gospel. And that means that Jesus doesn't like sin at all. He can't stand it. Matter of fact, he hated it so much, he never committed one. That means that there is more grace in Jesus than there is sin in your life and in my life. It means that there is more love in God the Father than there is rebellion in my own heart. It means that there is more power in the Holy Spirit than the stubbornness that is in my own soul. That Jesus absorbed the wrath of God, that he defeated death and broke it so that we might have forgiveness and life and change and hope that's good news and that's what brings